This is the Spur Leadership Podcast, episode number six. I am Mac Richard, and today, in this episode, we are joined by the one and only, the inimitable Roy Spence. Roy is a longtime friend of Spur Leadership, Lake Hills Church, and honestly, one of my favorite people on the entire planet. Roy is one of a very select group who, back in the early 70s, founded GSDNM Advertising here in Austin. He is, of course, the S in GSDNM. And over the last 40 plus years, they have built one of the most amazing businesses, not just because of the amount of revenue that they generate, which is significant but because of the way they go about it. They represent companies, and as Roy will share in this podcast that you're about to hear, they're not in business to make just great ads. They're in business to grow their client's business. And as a result, as you'll hear, Roy's done a little bit of everything. He's helped to solve labor strikes, as well as coming up with incredible slogans and campaigns for marketing and branding and advertising. Some of their clients include Southwest Airlines, the United States Air Force, BMW, Walmart, on and on and on the list goes. But Roy is one of those rare individuals who has done a great job and done great business making a great difference. You're going to find, if you've never heard him, if you didn't get to hear him at our conference last year, you'll find in this episode and the following second part next week, He's just one of those guys that is absolutely infectious to be around. He's got an attitude. He's got a heart. He's done everything from advertising to political campaigning. And you're about to enjoy one of the most fascinating people that I've ever heard of, much less had the privilege to call a friend. So I hope you find this as helpful and as energizing as I did when we got to sit down with Roy Spence, good to see you again. Well, it's always good to see you, preacher, and we've been uh, on this journey together for a while. And uh, I love the idea that you know you're ha- you're having a church that actually giving people things they can take with them to work. Yeah, and yeah. not just watches and iPads and phones and wallets and keys. You're taking something else to work. Well, I appreciate and that. And that one really you do. don't have to look at; you just have to feel. Roy, I was trying to remember. When we were, when I was planning to be here with you today and to record this podcast, how and when did you and I meet? I, w- I was trying to think. I think you came over. I feel like I've known you forever. I feel like I think the only you thing came wrong over. Is we haven't known each other for fifty, 50 years. years, and it, it and sometimes it feels like it. Anyway, uh, that, <laughs> that's a good thing. I think you came over here, and you were maybe thinking about spur leadership. I don't remember. But I also know that you had a relationship with Gerald Mann, and that yeah. was my next door neighbor and my preacher, and God rest him. And so I think it just, God just put us together, yeah. literally. And sometimes you never remember where you first met. And it really makes my wife angry because she <laughs> thinks I don't love her. But I think sometimes, <laughs> this sounds a little bit weird, but we, sometimes when you've known each other even before you were born, you don't remember when you met. Yeah, yeah. No, I th- I'm, I'm right yeah. here with you. And I think, I think one of the things that I would love to do in the, just to get this thing started is to give people who maybe don't know the story behind the story of GSDNM. Yep. Kind of how you because it's one thing to drive downtown Austin and you see Idea City and this beautiful building and you've got the 
the values literally etched in stone, stone. in the floor yeah. and the manhole covers that say Idea City around. Yeah. It hadn't always been that way. Give us just kind of give us the the thumbnail sketch of GSDNM and how it started and and what what was the dream behind Idea City. Well, it's a great question, and, and I will make it short. Um, we all went to the University of Texas, um, and um, it'll be the Longhorn Nation again at some point. But it's a village now, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I came from a little town called Brownwood, and my partners came from Houston, and we didn't know each other, and uh, we just ha happened to meet at orientation. And we started doing these little films on college. And we call our company Media 70. That's how old I am, but I, I look fabulous. But uh, that, by the way, Media 70 was our multimedia group. And we did these crazy films. And, and we had thousands of people line up and pay 50 cents to come see things like the death of academia, our values. <laughs> and we got through. There were four of us. And we did four or five of these shows. And... Uh, we were about to graduate, and I think, and what are we going to do? And that was interesting because what are we going to do? A little lesson out there. Yeah. Sometimes the most important thing you can get in college is we find friends and partners who believe in things, start something. Yep. Uh, versus what am I going to do? It was what are we going to do? Mm. And one of my partners well, why don't we go into advertising? I said, great, what is it? Uh, <laughs> anyway, you know the story. I went down to the bank, tried to borrow the money, got $5,000. And, um, and what year was that? That was 71. Okay. And um, we were just, we would have never made it in New York. We were never, because we, here's what I learned. There's a difference between being a maverick and a renegade. Mm. Renegades know the rules and break them. Yep. Mavericks don't know the rules. We didn't know what we were supposed to do. And then my big break was I ran a political campaign when we were 20-something, and we beat a guy uh, who was supported by a guy named Herb Kelleher. And uh, he calls me up. and He's the founder of Southwest Airlines, by the way, and he had 28 airplanes. He just started a company, and he said, Roy, you don't know me, and I didn't, but you beat my guy, and I want you to come talk to me. What year was that? 74. So y'all started in 71, 72. And we were just hanging on. Claude for two Claude, or three yeah, years we were, our then. first paychecks were $85 a month. Wow. And, uh, and yet there were five of us because we had our mother, who subsequently Bonnie Hunter, and Judy, who hoards everything, actually gave her a bonus of $5 uh, the, <laughs> for Christmas. And we didn't have to do that. But anyway. So we just we were loving it together and making yeah. a difference. And uh, so about 1974, 75, uh, I went down and met Herb Kelleher. And he said, you beat me, and I don't know who you are. I'd never flown. And he said, but will you come help me at Southwest Airlines? So every year for three and a half years, every day for three and a half years, I flew to Dallas. Every day and back for five days a week for three and a half years. Every wow. day at six in the morning, every night at 10 o'clock. Every day, every night. And one day, we were just doing project works, Preacher, and one day his agency came into his office when I was there, his ad agency. And they said, I'm sorry, we're not going to do your work anymore. We're going to do Braniff. So they fired Herb to go work for Braniff. And he looks over at me and he says, well, Roy, how do you get a new agency? I went, well, I don't know, you know, <laughs> you know, the old ways RFPs and stuff, or you can just hire somebody you trust. Mm -hmm. And he said, you write the release, we'll get it out that I hired you before they could get it out that they fired me. 
that was the day that started our agency. And then Sam Walton called me the next year. Collect. Well, that's incredible. Okay, so, but I want to ask you something because there, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who have perceived weaknesses mm-hmm. and limitations, you know, obviously limited resources, limited reach, limited relationships. Talk a little bit about how being in Austin would have would have been, I would think, a perceived weakness of your of an ad agency because in 1972 it was New York, Chicago, or nowhere. Exactly, maybe Chicago a little bit, but it was that. Uh, actually, that's a great question. Um, the truth is, we never thought we were in the advertising business. Uh, we thought we were in the business to build our clients' business. And I helped solve a union strike. Had nothing to do. We were, throughout my, our whole life, we got, advertising was just a piece of it. And that's how we beat all the big guys, because all they had was advertising. We, and we literally had, we're not in the advertising, but we'd start our pitch. We're not in the ad business, we're in the business to build your business. And whether you need, you know, relationships or union issues, or you need this or that, designing a plane, whatever it takes. And that liberal, because we didn't know that we were supposed to be in the ad business. Right. If we were in New York, that's all we would have been. We'd been crushed. One, one fun point, it's not that fun anymore, but I'd always pitch GSDNM against BBDO and DDB and all these huge agencies. Sure. And at the end of it, I'd finally look at the client and say, so you can hire the dead guys or you can hire me. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> and uh, of course, my partner, I say me, it's our partners, but I think part of the lessons learned on that little trip um, is that there is always in a person's life a higher purpose than what they think it is. Yeah. When you go to work every day, uh, you say, well, I'm working for somebody. It's always good when you never have a job, meaning you have work to do. Right. And every time you have a job, that says something about, and I don't mean that literally but when you think it's a job i gotta go to work i gotta do my job something's wrong with that company or something's wrong with you mm-hmm. it's different when you wake up like you do and i do every pretty much every day not every day <laughs> i got work to do yeah. yeah i got work to do today but when you're looking at how you can grow your client's business how you can help somebody else how you can serve somebody else is something i remember when we were moving to austin and we're we're starting a church from scratch i know um my mentor, Ed Young at Fellowship Church, said something to me that was really kind of disconcerting at first, but it's turned out to be, he was dead right when he said, just, Mac, you need to understand this, because I'd never been a pastor. I'd never been responsible for the, the whole organization. Yeah. And he said, he goes, here's the thing about it. You're never done. Yeah. He goes, now, if you're called to it, that's a, that's a win. But if you're not called to it, it can drive you a little bit crazy. I know. And your friends crazy. And your friends and, <laughs> and your, your family wife and, and everybody wife, yeah. else. So you better We're make sure done. the people closest to you are called Get to it. it as well. Get it. But that idea of never being done, I think, infuses everything you do with purpose. It really does. And I'm going to grab something right here. In 20 or whenever it was years ago, I wrote this thing called The Journey. I hand wrote it. I was just thinking about that. You're never done. And it says, and I'm showing it to the preacher, the destination is the motivator. I'm going to build a church. But the journey is the thrill. Mm. Have more fun, fun on the journey because that is where the great, great majority of one's life is spent. Fully and completely enjoy the journey. 
for the destination in the end will come faster than you ever imagined. When did you write that? 2000, January. I always go to Colorado and go by myself, go hiking. My wife actually loves that since I get me out of the house. But (laughs) every year, and it's not really a resolution, I write something. Hmm. And that's about the idea of never done because the destination will come faster than you ever imagined. Right. One way or another. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'm I'm really fascinated by companies that succeed over time. Built to last. And do what? Built to last. Built to last. As you all are growing this business, and like you said, the first two or three years, it's you know scratching and, and we didn't, it, we had nothing to, to lose, nail. and we had, right. we had nothing to lose. We're out there, you know, drinking beer and trying to you know figure out stuff, but then all of a sudden you're grown up and you have clients and stuff. It's kind of scary. And they need you to be here next month, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and your people do too. But anyway, go ahead. Talk about how you all started, and how deliberate or maybe undeliberate you were at at hiring and adding as the as the business grows, you need to add people. Yep. Talk about how those kind of things become a part of the culture that is Idea City and GSDNM now. But back then, I'm assuming you're pretty much making it up on the fly. Absolutely. And I think, and Herb Kelleher taught me this again at Southwest. Um, Herb, for the first 25 years, always was very reluctant to hire anybody from another airline. And I didn't know what he meant, but I did. Because... If you hire somebody from a competitor, they're leaving from some reason. They're for some right. reason they're saying I'm leaving that company. And then so many times they join your company bringing the baggage of the old company. They say <laughs> they want to work with you cuz you're different, but then they bring so by the way every time we have hire somebody, we've hired 20, 40,000 people over the years, we have a check the baggage process. Yeah. And we actually check the baggage. What baggage are you bringing? And by the way, you're not bringing. So we didn't hire people from the ad industry. We hired creative people. We hired people who wanted to work, who were excited, who were young, energetic, uh, vision thinking. And, you know, there's there's the, the whole idea, There, as Herb and, there, and Sam Walton used to tell me, there's a German side of every company and an Irish side. You really want the planes to take off especially passengers, and you really want them to land, and you want to have fuel in those planes, and you really don't want to lose the baggage, and you really all that German side. And then there's the Irish side. When you get up on Sunday morning and preach, the German side took over because you worked and worked and worked and worked, and then on Sunday you're Irish. That is great. And so we built, so we need the doers and dreamers. The dreamers will see the mountaintop. We just don't know how to climb it very well. <laughs> right. And then the doers will climb all the wrong mountains perfect. <laughs> so marry the doers and dreamers. Yeah. And that's where strength-based leadership comes in. Uh, don't hire people who are just like you. Are you more a doer or a dreamer? Dreamer. Okay. And uh, if, if anybody ever takes Gallup Strength Finders, my number one strength is strategy. I see around the corner. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how to get there necessarily. Yeah. My number one weakness, my 34th strength, is discipline. Uh, my second... This is the smile of recognition. Yeah, the right? discipline. I understand that, but that, my, that but, uh, dynamic. That, and, but I'm going over to get my strength base on. But my top five uh, strength 
is responsibility. So my strength coach told me she had never seen anyone un, more undisciplined than I am, ever. And she's, she's coached about 10,000 people in the last 15 years. <laughs> Please and understand, said, I'm laughing know, with you no, and not at you. But she said, you know why you're still here is because that responsibility is your compensator. You will get up at 4 in the morning because yeah. we don't want to let anybody down. Yeah. So we, I guess back to your point of hiring, if you're in that position, go find out what they're really good at. And by the way, it's really good to let them do that every day because mm. it sucks trying to be average at what you're bad at. Yeah, yeah. It really does. Let people become great at what they're already good at. And therefore, and when you do that, you're not competitive. Right. I got your back. I got your back. I think, too, one of the things, it, it helps you to – own your weaknesses, right? Got it, and to, and to not feel per- it's not and actually, personal. It's okay. You can now, go, it, you can celebrate it because somebody else has got a corresponding strength. Next door is uh, her number one strength is empathy, discipline. Da 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 da. So you find the doers and dreamers, right? And by the way, dreamers. If you're a dreamer, you must understand the doers are more important because y- you cannot get your dream done without them. You go hug them every day. You thank them every day. And they get their joy on the ride. Right. I'm on this ride. And so you got to put them both at the front of the bus. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, so GSDNM, you hit Southwest Airlines. You hit Walmart. Yep. And, and those things kind of start to propel you. Chili's. We, we picked up Chili's when they had like 25 restaurants. Really? Norm Brinker at Dallas. Yeah. One yeah. of the great human beings of all time. And. Then this guy named Ed Whitaker called at South, uh, Southwestern Bell that ended up to be AT&T. And then this guy named Jeffrey Katzenberg at DreamWorks calls me up and says, I love what you're doing. I just started DreamWorks. Can you help me and Spielberg? Then BMW calls up. And, you know, this whole John Deere, which I love. By the way, the best ad we ever did for John Deere is a print ad that had a cap. It says, for a cap company, we build pretty good tractors. <laughs> So anyway, we you know the ride and it's hard. This business is, is you know hard because it's opinion rich. Everyone has an opinion. Sure. So that's why we kind of built this safe haven, this happy haven here. Because mm-hmm. when we go outside with clients, I mean, there I don't like that ad. I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't do it. And so we have to come back here and put joy back into it. Right. Right. So, okay. So let me ask you this question because I think, I think it's one thing to identify your values and to hire to those values and that culture. Mm-hmm. But along the way, if you hire twenty to 40,000 people, <laughs> they're not all going to work out. No, they're not. Talk about what you've learned about firing people. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, two things. Uh, because one, I think that's kind of the ugly underbelly that nobody really wants to talk about, but it's there. Well, no, it's, it's, actually, I've learned three things. One, if you have a person in your company that enjoys it, Fire them. If they enjoy what? Firing. If you have someone in your company who enjoys firing other people, fire them. Yeah. Number one. Secondly, um, if they violate values, it's easier. Right. Performance is subjective a lot of times, but like, you know, our values, freedom and responsibility in that circle. And by the way, values are not siloed. They're part of your human ecosystem. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you start violating one value, the, the flywheel will start wobbling and yeah. you can go. So number one, we hire on values. And if they violate the values, normally the system and the culture ejects them anyway. 
we run them off because everybody kind of goes, what are you doing? Why aren't you showing up for work? Right. Secondly, if they are just not performing, what we try to do is to figure out, is it us or them? Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's us because we're really good at hiring people. Uh, but sometimes it's not us. Right. And, let me ask you this. When you say most of the time it's us, give me an example of Bad that. boss, bad supervisor. Not, not making the expectations uh, clear. Or trying to make them average of what they're bad at or putting them in places where they're destined to lose and not destined to win. Right. Because you don't know their strengths. You don't. And also there's a thing, uh, a, new, a book by Gallup called The Five Essential Elements of Well-Being. Okay. And basically it's stunning. I take it every month and uh, take the test every month. Number one, you'll love this preacher, well-being. Do you have purpose in your work? Mm-hmm. Secondly, do you have physical well-being? Thirdly, do you have social well-being? Fourthly, do you have uh, financial well-being? And fifth, do you have spiritual well-being in a sense? So when someone's not performing, you need to know they're not. there's something else is going right. on in their life. It's not because they don't want to do a good job. And if it is, then they got to go. Right. But but we try to not be sympathetic but empathetic to say, mm. wait a minute, is there a financial situation going on with your wife or your husband? Is one of your kids sick? Yeah. Uh, and we didn't know this. We didn't know Family Leave Act. If someone got sick and their mama got sick, they went off for four months and we paid them. Right. We didn't know that's not what you're, you know. So in a sense, that culture of, Lyndon Johnson said it better when he was fighting the Vietnam War. He said, it's easy to do the right thing. It's really hard to know what's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And we Especially when you've got the responsibility of leading uh, an organization. Right. It's hard to know what's right. right. And I've, I've made another mistake uh, three times. And I can say it out of 45 years because I know exactly the three. I let it ride when I should have let someone go. Mm. And I let it ride because he or she was too important to our financial well-being. But I they, let it. It's, the, it's what, and it but they do a good job. But they're so good at what they do. And, 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 what and, I got, think and the is client loves them. Is that good to and hurt everyone your in the company looks at me and says, oh, is one of our mothers, Bonnie Hunter, who was our mother, and she's now 85 or something. We're going to go see her. Anyway, um, she'd say, you know those non-performing whales at SeaWorld? If everyone thinks they can perform and behave like the non-performing whale, they will become non-performing whales. And when you have someone in your company that you reward and everyone knows they're non-performing, then they're going to say, hey, I'm going to go do that. I had three examples when I I let it go when I should have let them go. Mm. And at the end... I was getting eroded with trust back. People said, why is he not seeing what we see? And I was blinded because of the money or the financial responsibility or whatever. But, and that'll happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, I think it's, it can be very liberating to know, especially if you're just starting, I will make mistakes. Yes. In hiring and firing. Yes. And they're not good and I shouldn't, tolerate them but neither are they fatal right as sam walton used to tell me and and those who never knew that man he was amazing i get to ride ride literally and fly on his plane he would fly and let me go fly i didn't know how to fly but anyway (laughs) uh 
basically he'd say, I don't mind you making a mistake. Just don't do it again. Make mm-hmm. another one. Make another Make different mistake. You right. You know, right. and then preacher, your old man, fess up when you mess up. Yeah. If you have a culture, I don't really buy this idea, a culture of encouraging failure. I think that's stupid. <laughs> oh, you know, Everybody we have, gets a, a, trophy. We have a, you know, you, yeah. if you haven't failed, you haven't tried. Well, here's the point. You're going to fail. So don't encourage it. Right. Right. <laughs> I, oh, we have a culture where people, it's okay if people fail. Well, stupid. It's not okay. <laughs> not a good idea. It's not okay. <laughs> we accept it. And you move on. But the culture of, because a lot of times when you have that kind of culture, people would just jump off the building and, right. and whatever, you know. But. I want to go back to something that you mentioned a minute ago, because I think it's so true. When we've hired or when you look to hire somebody, I understand they, they're probably leaving somewhere else unless they're coming right out of college. Yep. But you want to make sure that they're come that they're running to, to something, something and not running from something oh else. God. I tell you, and this, you talked about this baggage check that you all do. Yeah, talk a little bit about what does that process look like? Well, two things. Number one, uh, the hardest thing for a, I think a purpose inspired leader is when great people leave your company. But I always bring them in, or Judy does, or Steve, and we ask them two questions: Are you running to? Mm-hmm. Are you running from? If they're running too, I hug them. Right. And I say, go forth, young men and women. Go forth. Right. Uh, and I say, we have the door open. And a lot of times leaders say that and don't mean it. I don't tell people who I want them to leave that the door will be open. But the people who are running too, we have the boomerangs. We have, I would say, 30% of our employees are boomerangs. Really? And we, they come back and they say, God. I'm so glad to get home. And we say, welcome home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, when, when you have to get rid of people because they violated the values or the work ethics or things like that, when you're hiring someone from a competitor, hire on values because they're probably good performers. Right. Or they wouldn't have come or on they, the radar or, screen. Exactly. Right. And so the reason we check the baggage is we test them on their values and they don't know it. We have a little, when we're interviewing them, we're asking them about freedom and responsibility. We're asking them about curiosity. We're asking them about integrity. And by the way, the integrity at our company is it is what it is. If you don't have it, I can't teach it. Yeah. I can teach the other stuff. Sure. But we haven't, sorry, Dorian, you met the hugger. She's been with Net Tomorrow. She'd be with us 29 years. She has that sixth sense. Mm. And so, someone, if you're hiring or if you're starting a business, by the way, if you're starting a business, that first hire is the most important hire. Then the second hire is the most important hire. And then the third hire is the most important yep. hire. Because you're custom designing a culture, not a company. I did not know that. We got lucky. We had four partners that had a cultural fit. And the future is about a powerful culture, not just a powerful company. So when you're building a startup, you're not building a company, you're building a culture. That culture is more important than your idea or your dream or your widget. You're building a culture. And that's the most precious thing you can build. And the most volatile, too, by the way. Volatile how? If you treat it wrong, it'll blow up on you. Yeah. If you're playing like it, it's a culture and it's not, 
it'll blow up on you. If you violate the principles of the culture, it'll blow up on you. Because culture is a tribe. Right. And they look at the tribal leaders, you know, as a church, or I know as a business, or as a country. Yeah. Uh, and as you build a culture, if you're in charge, of, if you're the culture keeper, that's maybe the biggest job in any organization. I think it's your primary responsibility as, as the leader, if you're the CEO or if you're the pastor or the mom or dad at home. It the, is. The primary responsibility you have is to guard the culture. That's right. That you're going to have. Because that, and again, it goes to, it's not about, um, authority is a subset of it, but it's ultimately about responsibility. And back to your point uh, of this whole spur movement, it's about trust. Mm. And I, I tell this story to friends. I went back to my 50th high school reunion in Brownwood, Texas. Uh, and the guy who organized it was played on our state championship team. And it really wasn't our 50th. It was our 49th. He missed it by a year. But he never was really good at Details. math. It didn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, He's a dreamer. <laughs> but I, when, my, we, when I played football in Brownwood, we won state championship. I was quarterback in safety. And we had a guy named Gordon Wood who was our coach. And Gordon Wood, up until, up until about 10 years ago, was the winningest high school football coach in America. He won 359 games in 40 years. That means he averaged 10 a year. Wow. Nine state championships. He came to see me. He called me Little Roy because my dad was 6'5", about before he passed away. And, and we sat there, and I said, Coach, it's going to wrap around to trust here. I said, what's the key? Yeah. What did, I mean, he said, well, lots of people. How old were you when you were having this conversation? Oh, this was about 15 years ago. Okay. 10, so it was, uh, you know, we were here, and – we actually filmed it in about four months before he passed away. And so he was just coming to see me. And I said, so, Coach, what's the success? How to, what, what, what is it? And he said, well, Little Roy, I've never told anybody, but I'm going to tell you. Coaches believing in coaches. Players believing in players. Players believing in coaches. And coaches believing in players. I almost fell out of the chair. It wasn't talent. Right. It wasn't weightlifting. It wasn't facilities. Coaches believing in coaches. Coaches trusting co each other. Mm -hmm. Players trusting each other. Coaches trusting the players. And players trusting the coaches. Bam. It's We have to do it with companies. We have to do it with countries. Uh, you look around at, at your church. And you know when you've been going through some tough times, sometimes you might the leaders might not have been believing in each other. Right. And you know what? They know that. Yeah. The people in that audience. Sure. Sure. And at some point they start if the if the leaders don't believe in each other or trust in each other, then the congregation starts to take sides. Well, what's up? Yeah, yeah, what's up? And look at sports. Look at life.